Today's scripture reading comes from Luke 11, 5 to 13. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, let me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. In the uh, weeks that lead up to Advent, for a few weeks, we are going to be looking at some of the parables that Jesus told in the Gospel of Luke. And I'm sure many of you know that a parable is a story that is designed to communicate a deeper truth. You could say that a, a parable is a story with a purpose. And the purpose of the story that we're looking at today, what many would call the parable of the friend at midnight, uh, the purpose of this parable is to tell us to pray and to pray and to pray and not give up on praying. And so what I'd like to do this with this is first kind of retell uh, the review, the parable for us, so we're all clear on what it's saying, and then we'll, then we'll break it down, all right? So in the parable, Jesus says, imagine that you are expecting an out-of-town guest who's coming to spend the night in your home, and your guests, your visitors, arrival is delayed for some reason. They don't show up at your house until midnight. And so you let them in, you welcome them, you show them where, where they're going to be sleeping. And they say to you, listen, before I go to bed, I'm kind of hungry. Could I have something to eat? You go to your kitchen, you look around, you realize you really don't have anything to serve your, your visitor. So you excuse yourself, you go next door, and you knock on your neighbor's door. Knock, knock, knock. There's no answer. It's midnight, after all. So you knock again. Knock, knock, knock. Again, there's no answer. You knock again. Knock, knock. Finally, you hear a very sleepy-sounding voice from inside your neighbor's house saying, Who is it? You say, It's me, your friend, your neighbor. I live next door. After some silence, the voice says, what do you want? <laughs> you say, I have a, a visitor in my home. I'd like to serve them some food. I came to see if I could borrow some food from you. More silence. The voice says, go away. So you knock again. 
Knock, knock, knock. You knock again. Knock, knock, knock. You start pounding on the door. Finally, the neighbor says, go away. Everyone's asleep. You're going to wake up the family. Leave us alone. You keep knocking. And after some time, finally the doors open, and there is your neighbor standing in front of you. He's got his bathrobe on. His eyes are bloodshot. His face is a little puffy. He's got the bed head going on. And he's obviously been asleep, and he's holding in his hand two large bags filled with groceries. He hands the food to you and says, here you go. Now leave me alone. He doesn't give you what you want because you're his neighbor or his friend. He gives you what you, you're asking for. Jesus says, because of your shameless audacity, because you won't stop asking. That's the parable. Now what is Jesus teaching with this? Well, let me point out, I would say three things that we see in this parable. Here's what we see. We see the discouragement that we often face when we're praying. Right? The discouragement we face, we see the encouragement that Christ gives us so we will keep on praying. Our discouragement, his encouragement. And finally, we see the greatest answer to prayer you could ever receive. So we'll start with our, our discouragement. Let me ask you, how many of you have ever felt discouraged with prayer? All right, I have. Listen, people say prayer is easy. You're just talking to God. It's not easy, is it? Sometimes it's really hard. So sometimes, sometimes we just, we're, we're discouraged for several reasons. What, one reason we might be hesitant to pray is because sometimes we might think that God might not be very interested in our little problems, right? And maybe the concerns we have are not very significant. And you can understand why we would think that, because would you agree? There are a lot of major problems in this world right now for God to focus on. There's a global pandemic. There are wars taking place. The UN tells us there are over 20 million refugees in the world right now, displaced people with nowhere to go. There's sex trafficking and poverty and climate change and, and nuclear warheads. There are over 2 billion people in the world who've never heard the gospel at all. Do you think God really wants you to ask him for help with your math test next week? Really? You think God really wants you to pray with your four-year-old to help him, him find his lost teddy bear? You know, sometimes we could just feel intimidated to pray because we feel, we feel like our problems are not that big. And I would just tell you, even though we feel that, that's not, Jesus would say that is not a valid concern. Jesus said, do you know this teaching? He said that God feeds the birds and he cares about whether you eat. He clothes the, the grass of the field. He cares about what you wear. So... As someone would say, that just, just as there is no problem we could ever present to God that's too big for him to handle, there's also no problem that's, that's too small for him to care, right? So it, it's not a valid concern, and yet we feel that sometimes, don't we? That maybe my, maybe my needs are not very important to God. And you, you would say that the, the person in this parable who's knocking on his neighbor's door could have felt that way as well. I mean, he's waking up his neighbor and the whole family. Why? He doesn't have an urgent reason to do this, does he? No one is dying. No one's starving to death. 
This is not a life or death situation. His house is not burning down. He just, he just wants some food, and it's really not a lot of food. Verse 5 says he's asking for three loaves of bread. When I read that, I thought of these like big uh, loaves of French bread. But scholars would tell us that in, in first century Palestine, a loaf of bread would have been about the size of a stone that you could hold in your hand, right? Like, kind of like a dinner roll. So he's, he's, not, he's not asking for much. Just as, he just needs a little snack for his friend. And sometimes we might be discouraged when we feel like my needs are really not that big. So that could discourage us from praying. Another, another, thing, that, um, another thing that might keep us from praying, to put this very bluntly, it's just our pride. Pride will keep you from praying. I mean, in, in, this, in this parable, in order for this man to knock on the, his neighbor's door and ask for food, he really had to humble himself because, I mean, what will people think? The whole neighborhood's hearing him out there. What are, what are the neighbors going to say? What's wrong with you? You, you? What kind of person are you? You invite someone to your home, you don't have any food for them, you can't even give your guests three loaves of bread. It, in other words, he had to humble himself to pray. And it's always like that. Truly to pray will call you to humble yourself. One uh, Christian pastor and songwriter named Mark Altrogi, he said this. He said, prayer is an act of humility. Prayer is an act of weakness. When we pray, we admit to God that we desperately need help, that we are weak and needy and not in control of things, that we are not self-sufficient. When you pray, that's what you're saying to God. God, I, I can't do it. I saw recently on the internet a list of 14 hindrances to successful prayer. Guess what was number one on the list? Pride. So I wonder if your pride ever keeps you from praying. A lot of times you ask people, why don't, why don't you spend, why don't you pray more than you do? And they'll say, well, I'm just too busy. You have no idea how busy I am. I don't have time for prayer. Um, I wonder if it might be that the real reason you don't pray is deep down inside. You don't think you need it. I mean, deep down inside, you think that you are smart enough and you are strong enough and you are, you, are, you know, uh, diligent enough to handle your problems. It, it's your pride, perhaps, that keeps you from going to God. So, so um, why, don't, why don't we pray? Why are we discouraged? It might be that we feel our requests aren't very important. It might be just our pride keeping it from us. Here, here's one more, and I think this is the main point of this parable. Sometimes we're discouraged to, to pray because it feels like God is ignoring us. Have you ever felt like God is ignoring your prayers? You pray and pray, nothing happens. In, in the parable, that's the point. The man knocks, the man knocks on the door, and the neighbor, the neighbor says, go away, leave me alone. He doesn't, in other words, the initial response to his request was what? It was no. And sometimes that happens to us. Does it happen to you? You go to God in prayer, and you're, and you're convinced. You're not asking for something selfish. You're, a, you're acting for, asking for something that you, you know ought to be in line with God's will for this world. You, you, you go to God in prayer, and his initial response is no, or perhaps wait, or not yet, or keep asking. Here's what's hardest. Sometimes God's response is just silence. You ever feel like your, your prayers are not even making it 
past the ceiling of your home? Like, there's no response at all. So all of these things, we see them going on in the parable, and, and, and they can discourage us from praying. So that's the discouragement we face. Secondly, in the, in the parable, we see the, the encouragement that Christ gives us to pray. Now, this, this is important to notice. In, in this parable, understand this. In this parable, Jesus is not saying that God is like a grumpy neighbor who doesn't want to help you. If, if that's the conclusion you're drawing from this, this parable, that's not what it's saying. This is not saying that God is like a grumpy neighbor. He, do, he wants you to go away, leave him alone. No, this, this parable is employing what students of logic would call an a fortiori argument. All right, And what that means is, Jesus here, this is an argument where you're arguing from lesser to greater. So when, when someone's using this kind of argument, the, the, the flow of their logic is, is this. If even A, how much more B? And we use this all the time. For example, when Geico Insurance says using our website is it's so easy, what? Even a caveman could do it. That's, that's an a fortiori argument. They are saying that if even a prehistoric being could figure out our website, how much more could you use it, right? That's what Christ is doing here. He's, he's, saying, he's saying, listen, if even a grumpy neighbor who does not want to help you will inconvenience himself greatly at an inopportune moment for a, for a request that's not even very important, Christian, how much more will God respond to your requests when you come to him in prayer? You see, that's the point of the parable. He, said that he, he gives us the point in verse 9 and 10. He says, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So this is his encouragement. He's saying, he's saying listen, God is the exact opposite of your grumpy neighbor. He's, he's the opposite of that. He's saying he's your father. He's your loving father. He's, he's saying not only is God not like a stingy neighbor, God is like a loving father. And this is, this is one of the great, great truths of the gospel, that when you turn from your sin, and you place your trust in Christ, not only does God forgive you and accept you and make you an heir of eternal life, but the Bible says that God adopts you into His family. God becomes your father. You become God's daughter or God's son. It says in John 1 verse 12, to all who receive Christ, to those who believed in His name, he gave the right to become children of God. So have you, listen, let me ask you a question. Have you turned from your sin and placed your trust in, God, in, in Christ? If you have, God is your father now. He's your father. And, and a father, a father will respond to requests in ways that a neighbor never will. A few months ago, the, uh, the door the doorbell rang in our apartment, and it was about four in the morning. 
All right, we live in a, an apartment building, so it was someone down in the lobby wanting to be buzzed in. I go to look at the little camera to see who it is that's ringing our doorbell, and it's someone I don't know. Some young woman looks like she's drunk or something. Did, I didn't buzz her in. Hey, she, she probably wanted into the building for legitimate reasons to see one of the neighbors, but I did not let her in. But I'll tell you what, if I had looked at that camera and I saw any one of my four children down there, not only would I have buzzed them in immediately, I'd probably go down the stairs to see what the problem is. Why are you coming to, to us at four in the morning? What can we do to help you? See, a father will respond to needs in ways that a neighbor never would. And listen, even fathers like me, even fathers who are not perfect, Jesus makes that point in verse 11 to 13. Which of, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? No one would do that. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, that sounds a little harsh, right? I guess compared to God's goodness, we're all evil, right? He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. You see, again, he's arguing from lesser to greater. He's, he's saying, listen, if even imperfect fathers, you know, guys who sometimes miss a band recital, or, or, or men who sometimes lose their temper with their kids, or, 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 you know, fathers who sometimes break a promise and let their children down, he's saying, if even imperfect fathers will still do their best to, to respond lovingly and wisely to the needs of their children, He's saying, how much more, Christian, will your Father in heaven respond wisely and lovingly to your needs? Now, I, I would imagine in, in a group like this, some, some of us here were perhaps raised by really great fathers. Some of us here probably had pretty horrible fathers. Most of us, I would guess, we had average fathers. But Christian, did you know that in God, you have a father who's perfect? If, if you didn't have a great father in, in this life, in, in this world, the father your heart has always longed for, you have that father in God. A father who's, listen, a father whose wisdom is infinite, so he always knows what's best for his children. Right? A, father, a father whose compassion is unending, so he always responds to us with a listening, empathetic ear. A father whose power knows no limit, so he is always able to protect his children, always able to provide for his kids. A, fa a father whose, whose faithfulness is unchanging, so he always keeps his word. And he's a father whose love is based on on unmerited grace. So he's always willing to forgive. That's the kind of father we have. Um, the Christian author Henry Nouwen described God as, quote, an all-giving and forgiving father who does not measure out his love to his children according to how well they behave. Christian, that's who your father is in God. The old uh, Heidelberg Catechism teaches Christians to say the following lines, and I, I love these lines. These would be worth writing out and taping on your, on your bathroom mirror so you read them every morning, all right? We're, we're taught to say this, I trust God so much 
that I do not doubt. He will provide whatever I need for body and soul, and He will turn to my good whatever adversity He sends upon me in this sad world. God is able to do this because He is Almighty God, and He desires to do this because He is my faithful Father. That's that's the encouragement Christ gives us. He, he says, when, when you pray, you are not banging on the door of a, of a reluctant neighbor. He says, no, no when, you, when you pray, you're falling into the arms of a loving father. And if even a neighbor would help you, oh my, how much more will God respond to your needs? So he says, ask, knock, seek. You will find. Amen. So that's our discouragement, and that's his encouragement. Now, finally, you also see in this parable the greatest answer to prayer you could ever receive. So so let me explain. We've probably all heard of, and maybe we've known, uh, fathers who are not really there for their children. You know what I mean? It might, this, some, sometimes, these, sometimes these are men who have abandoned their families. Sometimes these are men who um, they work all the time, so they're never at home. Sometimes these are men who are physically present in the home, but they're, they're cold, they're distant. They're just emotionally, they're emotionally distant from, from their children. So we've all known of fathers who are not really there for their children. Sometimes, if they have the financial means... Sometimes these men, in order to make up for their absence, will spend lots of money to purchase very expensive gifts for their children, right? Um, like the, the, guy, the guy who ran off with his co-worker and left behind his wife and three kids, every Christmas time, his kids are going to get the best gifts of any kid on the block because he feels guilty. So he'll spend all kinds of money to give presents to them. So, so sometimes, um, sometimes we'll hear of, of, of fathers like this. They'll give, they'll give gifts to their children, but not really give themselves. Very often, children who have these kinds of fathers find the expensive gifts that they're given to be very unsatisfying. You know, little Johnny says, I, you know, I'm glad I got another new bicycle, but I'd much rather just go on a bike ride with my dad, right? They, they're, they're not happy because they have a father who will give them great gifts, but never give himself, right? Jesus says, Christian, that in God, you don't have that kind of father. You do not have that kind of father. He's not like that. Verse verse 13, he says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, we need to understand this. Yes, God responds to our prayers by giving good gifts. In fact, there's a similar teaching to this in the Sermon on the Mount, different, different occasions, similar teaching. And in there, Jesus says, your Father will give good gifts to you, and God does. He, re- he answers prayer. He gives good things. So, if, listen, if you need healing, pray for healing. If you need a job, pray for a job. If you, if you want to get married, pray for a spouse. Never be ashamed to ask 
boldly of your Father what you need in prayer, expecting Him to answer. Our Father gives good gifts. But Jesus says, you know what? He gives even more than that. He gives us Himself through, through the Spirit. He gives Himself to your... He says, your Father in heaven will, through the Holy, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. He won't just give you a new bicycle, right? He'll say, Johnny, let's go for a ride. He, like he'll, he'll give Himself to you. So, when you pray, um, here's what one Christian author said about prayer. He wrote, the purpose of prayer is not simply to take our requests and praises and present them in an acceptable fashion to God. It's not simply to become aware of God's answers and guidance. He wrote, the purpose of prayer goes deeper than that. Prayer is the way to maintain constant communion with God the Father and God the Son through God the Holy Spirit. It's not just to ask for gifts. It's to know the giver, right? So one, one thing that I've noticed over the years, I have known, I have known Christians who have really gone to the effort to develop a, a, a rich and consistent prayer life. Have you known believers like that? I've known people like that. And I've known other Christians who hardly pray at all. And in my observation, um, those Christians who develop a rich, consistent prayer life, they don't necessarily have more money or healthier bodies than Christians who don't pray much. But they always know God better. They always know God better. They, they, they may not necessarily get better gifts than, than the other kids in the family, but they always, they always spend time with the Father. They know God better. And, and so I just wonder, I wonder what would happen, I wonder what would happen with any of us here, with you, if, if, if you would allow the Lord just to lead you in a pursuit of a richer, deeper, more consistent life of prayer with Him. I, I, I wonder... Uh, I wonder in what ways your, your sense of God's love for you would deepen so that you would just kind of have a greater confidence as you approach life. I, I, wonder, uh, I wonder how your awareness of His presence with you might grow. I wonder if there are any ways that God's character might rub off on you. You just spend time with the Father. See, Jesus here, He's promising that the Holy Spirit will be poured out in a abundance on Christians who pray. And I would say that's the greatest answer to prayer we could ever receive. So would you pray with me right now? Jesus, you told us this parable not to make us guilty about, feel guilty about our prayer life. You told us this parable because you really want us to pray. Because the Father truly loves us and He wants us to come to Him. And so I ask that for every, every one of us here, wherever we are at in the life of prayer, I, I pray that you would lead us to a deeper, richer, fuller um, relationship with you in prayer. 
Whatever it is that hinders us from prayer, would you remove that? And would you encourage us to ask, to seek, to knock, to know that the Father, the Father is waiting to hear from us? And I pray this in your name. Amen.